I started thinking this morning that the Sunday after Thanksgiving is a really good time to preach. And the reason why is because I look out there. If I look out there and I see people sleeping, I can just dream it. I can just blame it on the tryptophan, right? <laughs> tryptophan, tryptophan. If someone comes up after me afterwards and says, Dan, did you see all those people sleeping during your sermon? I can just say, I know, it's the tryptophan. What can I do about it? Uh, this morning as I get started, I'm going to talk to you some about uh, uh, crosses. I'm not talking especially of the one that Jesus died on. I'm talking about crosses in general. And uh, it seems like they are everywhere. It, it seems like they're like everywhere in this country. Uh, some of you have a cross, probably some of you have a cross on this morning around your necklace. All right? Sometimes we wear crosses around our necklace. Sometimes we have crosses and we put them on our coffee tables. We put them on our nightstands sometimes or somewhere in our house. We certainly use crosses to decorate our stage. Um, some of you maybe have a cross hanging from your mirror in your car, right? Maybe it's hanging right next to your fuzzy dice right there where you can see it as you drive along. Uh, there's a cross up on the front of our building, right? Churches all the time have crosses on their building. Sometimes if we're at a baseball game... Uh, Sometimes some of the players, before they have a big moment of some kind, maybe they'll cross themselves, right? Crosses seem to be everywhere. Um, But the funny thing to me is, back during Jesus' time, uh, the cross wasn't, it wasn't anything that a person would like, like ever want to be associated with, right? The cross back then represented everything that was evil and shameful. Right? It was horrible. It was horrible. No one would have ever thought about having one around their neck, having one in their house. Right? They wouldn't have hung one around the ear of the camel they were riding. Right? It was horrible. Never in a million years would someone have wanted to be associated with the cross. All right? As, as a matter of fact, as I was doing some studying this past couple weeks to get ready for the sermon, I found something here. In the year 63 B.C., there was a man named Cicero. Cicero was a Roman, a, a Roman uh, uh, politician and a lawyer and a spokesman. Cicero said this about crosses. He said, to bind a Roman citizen is a crime. To flog him is an abomination. To kill him is almost an act of murder. To crucify him is what? There is no fitting word that can possibly describe so horrible a deed. Then later Cicero wrote, the very word cross should be far removed, not only from the person of a Roman citizen, but from his thoughts, his eyes and his ears. For it is not only the occurrence of these things or the endurance of them, but the liability to them, the expectation, and indeed the mere mention of them that is unworthy 
of a Roman citizen and of a free man. Okay, so that kind of shows us what the Romans, back during Jesus' time, or this man who lived just shortly before Jesus, what they thought about the cross. And as, and as I was doing some studying on crosses, I, I wanted to... Well, actually, something else I found out about the cross is that the Romans never... Or uh, that they didn't actually like invent crucifixion. Uh, they found it in some kind of barbarian tribe out in the far reaches of the known world at that time. Some, uh, some Roman soldiers or some explorers or something saw some barbarian tribe practicing it. And they thought, wow, that is cruel punishment. So they, uh, so they brought it back to Rome. And that's how Rome kind of adopted this practice of crucifying people. And uh, so I started thinking, how in the world did we get today to the point where people wear it around their neck and we hang pictures of it in our houses and we put it on our church buildings from where it used to be, where no one would ever, ever think about wearing a cross around their neck because of the shame and the horror and the just the, the complete disgust that it represents. And the best I could find out, and some of you made me know this, and you're like, yeah, Dan, we all knew that, but I didn't know this. Um, I had heard the story, but I never really put it all in its context. Back in 312 A.D., there was a man uh, uh, named Constantine. Constantine was the ruler of Rome. And uh, he was looking up into the sky one day, shortly before he sent his men out on a very important battle. And he sees the figure of a cross up in the sky. This is a, a vision he claims he had. All right, So he sees this vision of a cross, and it's up in the sky. And next to the cross it says, conquer by this sign. All right, So then Constantine, after seeing that vision, goes back to his soldiers, tells his soldiers to put a cross on their shield. And then they go out to battle. And they're victorious. And from what the historians have discovered, from what I've been reading, is that's the only point in time where the historians have been able to go back to a point in history where the cross seemed to make a jump from being the complete symbol of shame that no one wanted to be associated with to this uh, somehow the positive connotations being attached to the cross. All right. I found this all very interesting as I was doing some studying, and I want you to take that information, just kind of tuck it away for a, a few minutes, and we're going to come back to it. And this morning I'm going to ask that you please turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9. Uh, Luke is the third book in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke. And then it's John, and those are the four Gospels. The Gospels tell us about the life of Jesus. Um, I'm ask that you turn to Luke chapter 9. I'm going to start reading in verse 18, so I ask that you follow along with me as I read. It says, When Jesus was praying in private, and his disciples were with him, he asked them, Who do the crowd say I am? 
And they replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others that one of the prophets of long ago has come back to life. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Peter answered, the Christ of God. Jesus strictly warned them not to tell this to anyone. And he said, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and the teachers of the law. And he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Then he said to them, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world, yet lose or forfeit his very self? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory, and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. I tell you the truth, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. Let's go back up to verse 18. So Jesus is alone with his disciples, somewhere in private. All right. Uh, I don't know if it's in a countryside somewhere, if he's in a room somewhere, but he's together in private with his disciples. And he says, who do the crowd say I am? And then his disciples' response was, some say John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and still others that one of the prophets of long ago has come back to life. So I started thinking about these answers that the disciples gave to Jesus. And I started thinking, those answers aren't really very different than many of the answers that people around the world still give today about who Jesus is, right? 2,000 years later, some of the answers are still very much the same. Millions and millions of people say that Jesus was a prophet. All right. He was sent from God to tell us things that we need to know about God. Uh, not the Son of God. Okay. Many of these people won't claim that he's the Son of God, but he's a prophet. And millions of people around the world believe that Jesus was a good man. He was a righteous man. He was a great teacher, right? But not the Son of God, okay? Uh, and still, many more people still believe that uh, he had some kind of supernatural powers, maybe uh, some kind of magician, uh, something, something special about him uh, so that he could do these different miracles that he did, but not the Son of God, all right? The answer is, that the disciples gave, I think, are very similar to many of the things that people still say today about who Jesus is. Then in verse 20, Jesus says to his disciples, he says, But what about you? Who do you say I am? And for the past two weeks as I've been preparing for this message, every time I read that verse, it's like Jesus is talking to me. He says, Dan, all around you, all around the world you live in, people say different things about me. And they give me different identities. And they give me different names. But Dan, who do you say I am? And that's the same question we all have to answer today, friends. At some point in our life, we have to answer that question. Who do you say Jesus is? 
And that's a question no one can answer for you, right? You have to answer it yourself. Your parents can't answer it for you. Your spouse can't answer it for you. Your friends and neighbors can't answer it for you. Your pastors can't answer it for you. You've got to answer in your heart. When Jesus asks you, who do you say I am? And probably this morning if you're here, and if you've understood that Jesus was who he said he was, and that he was God's son who's come to this earth, he lived a perfect life, he died on the cross for our sins, he came back to life, and if at some point you've understood this, and if you've asked for the forgiveness of your sins through Jesus Christ, and if you've made him the Lord of your life, and you're following after him, then your answer is probably going to sound similar to what Peter said. Peter said, in verse 20, he says, the Christ of God. Now, something else I found out as I was getting ready for this message is that that phrase, the Christ, uh, to the Jews at this time, and it's important to remember that all of Jesus' disciples were Jews, okay? And to the Jews at this time who are following Jesus, when they gave that, that name to Jesus, the Christ, they meant three different things, okay? At the same time, three different things at the same time. First off, they meant that Jesus was a prophet, okay? Jesus was sent from God to speak to us on God's behalf. The second thing they meant was that Jesus was a priest, all right? So he was sent to be a mediator between us and God. And the third thing that they meant was that Jesus was a king. But this is important, all right? Not just a king who is building his heavenly kingdom, but they thought Jesus was sent by God to establish an earthly Jewish kingdom right then. It's important to remember at this time the Jews have been taken over by the Romans, all right? And these Jews desperately wanted their own freedom again. They wanted their own nation. They wanted their own king, their own kingdom. And his disciples have been following Jesus, all right? And they, and they wholeheartedly and with great anticipation think that Jesus has come to free them, to set up a kingdom, a Jewish kingdom, so that they can have their identity back, they can have their nation back. All right? So when they say, and when Peter says, the Christ there was certainly some emphasis on prophet and priest, but there was heavy emphasis at this time in the Jewish history that he was king. King, and he was going to build an earthly kingdom right then to set the Jews free and to have their own nation again. All right? So understanding that, let's keep reading. Verse 21. Jesus strictly warned them not to tell this to anyone. And he said, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law. And he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Try now. Do your best to put yourself there in the middle of this whole conversation. All right, here's Jesus. And here's his disciples. They have been following him for uh, well over two years at this point. All right. They had left everything. They left their jobs. They left their family, their friends, everything that was comfortable. They left it behind 
to follow Jesus. Jesus had been training them. He's been teaching them. They have developed a, a close relationship with Jesus, a, a strong, uh, a strong like, love for Jesus. And they are excited. I mean, they're, they're excited. They're thinking, soon, very soon, Jesus, this man sent from God, is going to set up this Jewish kingdom for us, and we're going to have our freedom back, right? And Jesus, Jesus is going to be that king, right? And then Jesus tells them, I'm going to be rejected. I'm going to suffer. I'm going to be killed. And I'm going to come back to life again. That was not anywhere on the radar for these disciples. Picture the look on their faces when Jesus told them that this is their king. This is the man going to set them free. And he's saying he's going to be rejected, he's going to suffer, and he's going to be killed. That does not happen to a king. All right? Kings are not rejected. They are lifted up. They are glorified. Right? Kings do not suffer. Right? I mean, they live in, 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 Mansions and palaces and all kinds of opulence, right? And they certainly aren't killed, right? I mean, if anything, a king has the power to put someone else to death. And Jesus now is telling his disciples, I'm going to be rejected, I'm going to suffer, I'm going to be killed, and I'm going to come back to life again. Wow. Picture the look on the disciples' faces. Complete disbelief. Confusion and disbelief. And in fact... In a, in a parallel passage to this, back in Matthew 16, Peter's response to those words of Jesus was, Never! Never, Lord! These things will never happen to you. Never! Right? How could their king, who's going to set up a kingdom, have these things happen to him? Not possible. Complete disbelief. Complete disbelief on behalf of the disciples. It's important to remember, though, that these disciples, uh, uh, down the line, as we, later, as we learn later in the Bible, they begin to understand, all right? Wholeheartedly, they begin to understand what Jesus is talking about. And these disciples, uh, most of them gave their life for Jesus, okay? They died because they were teaching Jesus. But at this point in history, this point when they're talking to Jesus, they did not understand what he was saying. And Peter says, never, Lord, never. That will never happen to you. Right? Okay. And as if that's not enough, Jesus keeps talking to him and he says this in verse 23. And if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit his very self? Wow. Can you picture what is going through the disciples' head at this point in time? Jesus just said, I'm going to suffer. I'm going to be rejected. I'm going to die. I'm going to come back to life again. And... And if you want to come along with me, then you need to, to deny yourself, pick up your cross daily, and follow me. I could just see the disciples. I could just see the look on their faces. One of them like saying, what? What are you saying? What are you talking about, Jesus? What are you saying? Right? Complete, complete 
disbelief and shock as to what they were hearing, right? Um, now think about the disciples now. They were in good with the king, right? I mean, this is their future king going to set up a, a Jewish nation, and these disciples were his best friends. So what kind of things happens to the friends of a king? Those are the people that the king makes vice king, right? And, uh, and uh, press secretary for the kingdom, right? The attorney general for the kingdom. Uh, the joint chiefs of staff for the kingdom, right? Positions of power, prestige, positions of influence. And along with that, certainly you get stuff, right? You get things. I mean, these disciples are excited. They're in good with the future king, right? I mean, they're going to have position, right? Power, prestige, stuff. I mean, we all like stuff, Right? These disciples are excited. Man, they're, they have got the inside track to all the good things. Right? I mean, they are, they are set. And Jesus tells them, I'm going to be rejected. I'm going to suffer. I'm going to die. Right? Not, again, not on their radar. And Jesus tells them, because the disciples, they, uh, they are looking forward to having all the benefits of knowing the king, Jesus tells them, there are going to be benefits to knowing the king. But first, you must carry your cross. You will have benefits of knowing the king. But first, you must carry your cross. And when Jesus said, carry your cross... Jesus meant disciples, you've got to turn your back on all the power, the prestige, the pleasures, and the stuff of the world that you think you're headed for. Turn your back on it and follow me. And be committed to me no matter what it costs you. That's what Jesus was saying when he said, pick up your cross. He's saying, turn your back on the power of and prestige, and stuff of this world, and follow me no matter what it costs, no matter what the world thinks, no matter what they do, turn your back on this pursuit of the worldly things and follow me. And friends, I am not saying power and wealth and stuff is wrong. All right? I am saying the pursuit of power and prestige and wealth and stuff is wrong. First Timothy chapter six verse ten says, "The love of money is the root of all evil. Not money is the root of all evil. The love of money, that passion, that desire, that control that money can take over us. Right? That's the root of all evil. And Jesus is saying, disciples, turn your back on the pursuit of power, of prestige, of pleasure, of stuff." And follow me. Friends, certainly there are people here in this church today who have been blessed by God with power, with wealth, or with stuff, right? And God chooses to give those things to whoever He wants to give them to. And hopefully, 
the people who are given those things in this church and in this community and in this country use it for the glory of God to help people understand how much he loves them. But God gives those to whoever he wants to give those to. He doesn't want us spending our time and our talents and our energy and our life pursuing those things. He's saying, turn your back on those things and follow me. Whatever it may cost. Whatever the world may think. Don't worry about them. Pick up your cross and follow me. And friends, the longer I studied this passage, the more I found that I have a lot in common with those disciples <laughs> that I don't want to. Right? And I'm sure I'm not the only one here. Right? Because I, I wholeheartedly want and expect the benefits of knowing the King. Right? Both on earth and in heaven forever. Right? I expect and I want His protection his guidance, his blessings, his healing, right? his comfort. And in heaven, I look forward to his riches, his perfection. I mean, those are benefits of knowing the king. And I wholeheartedly want those and expect those. And Jesus is telling me, Dan, there are benefits to knowing the king. But first, you've got to carry your cross. During my time preparing for this message, I would kind of imagine what it would be like to be a Roman citizen and to see a convicted criminal who's been sentenced to death on a cross carrying his cross through the streets, right? Perhaps I'm standing on the side of the streets, maybe on the hillside, and I'm watching this criminal carry his cross through the streets, and a couple of things became very clear to me. First off, maybe, perhaps I wouldn't know that criminal. I mean, probably I wouldn't know the criminal. I may not even know his name. I wouldn't know. Uh, maybe I wouldn't know if he was married, if he had kids. I may not even know his crime that he committed. I don't know. Right? I don't know his age. Well, one thing I would know for sure is that he was not a citizen of Rome. Because back then, crucifixion was so horrible. The Romans wouldn't even put their own citizens on a cross. It was saved for foreigners who committed the worst crime. Right? And so one thing I would know for sure is that that man carrying his cross through the city streets as he carries it up to where they're going to nail him to the cross that he carried was not a Roman citizen. All right? Friends, as the world around us sees us carrying our cross, they should quickly understand we are not citizens of this world. We may have a piece of paper, a birth certificate that says we were born in Illinois or in USA or whatever. But it should become obvious to the people around us we aren't citizens of this world. We are living for our home made ready for us in heaven by God. All right? Because they should look at our lives and see that we don't 
pursue the things of this world. We don't act like the things of this world, act the way the people of the world do. We don't live for the things of this world. And they should see we are not citizens of this world. And the second thing that I began to picture as I was watching this man carry his cross through the streets on his way to death was that it was just him and the cross. It was just him and his cross. I seriously doubt that if I was alive during the times of Jesus, and if I watched someone carrying their cross, I really don't think that they would have had the cross over here on one shoulder and a suitcase over here in their other hand, right? I mean, that's just not going to happen, all right? Why would they have a suitcase? They aren't going to have a suitcase. Their, their future and their destiny is certain, and it doesn't involve stuff, all right? And probably this man who's carrying his cross through this imaginary city that I'm picturing, probably he just received a severe beating. All right. And he's being spat upon. He's being laughed at. He's probably being, having things thrown at him. He may be being kicked and hit and beaten as he's carrying his cross to his place of crucifixion. All right. That man is going to need all of his strength all of his energy to carry that cross. He's not going to have a need or room in his life for anything else. And so often, so often, friends, I think that we, as the body of Christ, try to carry our cross with one arm. And over here, we're reaching for everything else. I want this stuff and I want this power and I want these things in this world. And I got my cross and I got the world and I'm set. Right? That's not it. That doesn't work. Carrying the cross takes complete commitment and devotion. It takes both hands on that cross. There's no room when we're following Jesus Christ for all this other stuff. Sometimes, sometimes in my own life, I... I tend to drop my cross. And I'll drop my cross on the ground and I'll go over here and I'll pursue all this other stuff. Right? For a moment. Sometimes a moment lasts longer than other moments. See, I call that Christian insanity. Because I lose my mind. I lose my mind for a few moments, however long my moment lasts. And I'll forget. I'll forget where my identity is. I'll forget what Jesus has called me to do. And I'll drop my cross. And I'll go over here and I'll pursue all these other things. And then God, out of His incredible grace and love for me, gets my attention. And He causes me to drop that stuff, focus back on Him, what He did for me and His desire for me to pick up my cross and follow Him and I'll reach down and I'll pick up my cross daily. Remember that says daily. And follow Him. Friends, as I bring this to a conclusion, 
I wonder if there's other people here who have dropped their cross. I wonder if there's other people here who for a moment, and maybe your moment has lasted a while. Perhaps you dropped your cross this month. Perhaps you dropped it so long ago that you, you couldn't begin to find your cross. Because you have been so consumed with the things of this world and pursuing its power and its prestige and its pleasure and its stuff that you've lost your focus. Your cross is back there somewhere and you have no idea because you've oh, got all this stuff. Maybe people here are going through their own moment of Christian insanity. Losing your mind, you lose your focus, you forget what the Christian life is about. As I said, I struggle with it. Thank God from His grace, He brings me back. I pick up my cross again and I follow Him. So as we get ready to close, I'm going to give you a few moments of quietness. And I want you to listen to God. And I want you to talk to God. Do a heart check. See if you're carrying your cross. Maybe some of you are doing a great job. Maybe some of you, this is your moment of God showing you incredible grace. And He wants to speak to you through these verses in this passage to help you regain your focus. To help you live again carrying your cross and turning your back on the things of this world and following Him. Let's take a few moments and then I'm going to pray for us and the band is going to close us out in a song. Thank you for listening to Great Oaks Community Church's weekly podcast. For more series and podcast information, go to greatoakscc.org.